You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's sermon feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the 20th Sunday of Pentecost, October 23rd, 2022. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Again, these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As you might have guessed, there is a lot that I don't share in common with Paul. Obvious things. I'm not over 2,000 years old, and dead. I didn't grow up a Jew. I didn't have a conversion experience that knocked me off my horse. I don't, in fact, even own a horse. I am not what is likely the church's greatest evangelist ever. I've never planted a church, never mind several. And this will come as a shock to you. I haven't written anything that will ever appear in the Bible. Good news, on the plus side, I didn't start out persecuting the church, and unlike Paul, I never faced martyrdom, or at least not yet. But for all the differences, I am drawn to Paul's description of life as a libation being poured out. Admittedly, the English word libation sounds old-fashioned and foreign to us, a more contemporary turn of phrase that's used by some translators is a drink offering. And the image is a powerful one borrowed from the ancient Jewish temple in which wine was poured out at the base of the altar as a part of a sacrificial rite. It certainly refers to Paul's impending death, but what Paul is also saying is that his life has been a drink offering given freely to God, poured out without reservation in the same spirit that his Jewish predecessors sacrificed unblemished, expensive animals in an act of gratitude and surrender to the God that made them and freed them. The verb that Paul uses in the Greek also carries with it the sense that this offering is in the process of being poured out. And it underlines that process as a way of living his lifestyle from the moment that he was baptized. The language also suggests that while he is in the hands of the Roman authorities, he is not under their control. His life has been and still is offered to God with a freedom that both defies and transcends his circumstances and Roman power. 
Now, let me explain why I find that such a powerful way of describing life with the hope that you might connect with it too. I was not supposed to give the first of the sermons during the stewardship season. That was rightly and appropriately Mother Natalie's job, and candidly, I was quite happy for her to do it. When the vestry called me as vice rector, one of the questions I was asked is, will working for your wife really be okay? And my response, only partly tongue-in-cheek, was, of course it will. One, we work together all the time, and two, I don't want her job. So when I realized that I was going to be the one who preached the stewardship sermon this morning, I had to do some personal and theological work that I have rarely had to do for a sermon of this kind. And it occurred to me that the role of clergy when it comes to the spiritual discipline of stewardship is probably something of a mystery to the membership of any parish, not just this one. And there are probably questions and assumptions that are never articulated. I could think of at least six of them. One, apart from making people feel that they should give, do clergy ever preach that message to themselves? Two, if they do preach those sermons to themselves, do they think, hey, I work for the church. Why should I give part of my salary back to my employer? Three, aren't they really representatives of the denomination anyway? Four, why would they care about the parish since they're either going to move away or one day retire? Five, maybe a little less delicately, aren't they just trying to get their salaries paid? And six, some probably wonder, if that's not why they preach about stewardship, what does motivate them to preach about it? Now, these are all fair questions, and I want to take an opportunity to answer some of them. And then I want to come back to Paul, because I think that his image of a life poured out is really at the center of what we ought to be thinking about this morning. So, first question, do clergy preach stewardship sermons to themselves? Short answer is yes. In fact, that's true of pretty much every sermon any priest preaches or should do, and stewardship sermons are no exception. One of the things that I've learned down through the years in preaching that sermon to myself or hearing it preached more often is that no matter how much money I have had or not had, it is our relationship with money that remains much the same in important ways. It is, as one philosopher puts it, money is minted personality. It says something about what we value, how we see the world, and what we feel our obligations are. And a lot goes into that calculation. We need to be responsible. We need to pay our bills. We all try to find a way to provide for our children if we have them. And we try just as hard as we can to ensure that we're not dependent upon them or others in retirement. 
These things are legitimate. And anyone who has ever done basic financial planning knows that accomplishing those goals is a complex business that involves asking ourselves questions that most of us would rather not contemplate. How long can I reasonably expect to live? How much money do I need to save in order to cover my expenses when I retire? What do I need to do to address the possibility of short-term or long-term disability? And if I'm married, what happens if I die first? Or if I'm alone, what happens then? But there are perennial questions that have nothing to do with retirement. I've discovered that regardless of how much money I have, the question of how much I need which is the slipperiest word in the English language, is, a const is in constant tension with my obligation to both God and my neighbor. So yes, Mother Natalie and I are alive to those questions. We never approach the stewardship season without asking them, and we always end up preaching those sermons to ourselves first and foremost. Let me take the opportunity to answer the second and the third questions together. Do clergy think, hey, we work for the church. Why should we give a portion of our salaries back to our employer? And besides, aren't they employees of the denomination, not the parish? Now, let me be honest with you. If I worked for Tesla, Microsoft, or Apple, you'd bet safely, that my reaction would be, no way am I giving money back to the company. For-profit companies are exactly that. They make a profit, and that's fair. That's how they survive. That's how they produce the products that they offer to the community. And a big part of their inherent value to society is that they create jobs for people and ways to make a living. But I see no reason to put money back into an enterprise of that kind, except maybe in the form of a stock purchase. But Mother Natalie and I don't think about giving money back to Good Shepherd as a matter of giving money back to our employee or employer. This may sound strange, but this is how I think about it. I don't work for the parish. I am under the bishop's authority, and our ministries are an extension of his ministry. But frankly, and I hope he's not listening, we don't work for him either. And we don't work for the denomination. Although there are lines of accountability and responsibility at each of those levels, parish, diocesan, denominational, we are called and ultimately responsible to God. And Good Shepherd is the place where we are living out our calling and being woven into the body of Christ. So because the body of Christ is where we find healing and purpose, and because Good Shepherd is that part of the body to which we belong in the moment, what we give to the ministry of the parish makes the same claim upon us as it does upon any of you.
So we tithe, and we will continue to give a tithe as long as we are here. Now let's take the fourth and the fifth questions together. Why do we as clergy care since one of these days we will either move or retire? I'm guessing retirement's more likely. And aren't we just trying to ensure that our salaries are being paid? Now, to some extent, I've already answered the first question. We care because we believe that we are not saved for our own sake. We are healed, saved, and grow spiritually as members of the body of Christ. And this is the body of Christ for us in this moment. So we care because we believe in the power of Christ to heal. We care because we believe that it is only in Christ that our lives find meaning and purpose. And we care because in this little part of the world, Good Shepherd is God's instrument. We also care because we long to see this parish fulfill its place for God's will in the world. And not just while we are here, but for years upon years to come. And that begins to explain why, from our point of view, salaries are not what concerns us. In order to be effective servants to body, Christ's body, our concern is and must be the strength and the vibrancy of this community. When Mother Natalie and the Vestry entered into a process of prayerful discernment three years ago, their goal was to ask what God longs to do through this parish and to then ask what it would take to provide leadership to achieve that vision. That vision, that mission, not the staff salaries, are what drives the budget. And our longing, our prayer, is that together we will live into that vision and that Good Shepherd will continue to listen for God's call upon her gifts and graces. One of the poignant truths about the life as clergy is that there will come a day when we will retire. And when we do, we will have to worship somewhere else. The clergy who take our place must have the space and the freedom to engage that process of listening and prayer. But that does not mean that there will ever be a day where you will be far from our hearts. Our prayers and our love will always belong to you, to this place and to those who follow us here. And that prayer will be that in whatever way God is able to use us, that his work, his promise, will continue to be thread through the life of this community. And that sixth question brings me back to Paul and our shared responsibility in this season of discernment. What does motivate clergy to care about stewardship? And let me broaden the question and say, what should motivate all of us? You know, growing up, I suppose, I was something of an old soul, or maybe I was reared to be one. My parents cared for us, but being a child was never treated as a place to camp out. 
chores at home, preparing life as an, for life as an adult were priorities that my parents held high on the list. And my father regularly talked about or referred to the homes that you boys will one day make for yourselves. So I intuitively wondered what life was about and what its overarching goal ought to be. You could say, to use Paul's words, I was looking for something to pour my life into. For a long time, I tried to answer that question by thinking about life's work. And there was a certain legitimacy to that version of the question. I am convinced that work, whether it is the work we would prefer to do or not do, whether it's work we do professionally or not, is a laboratory for giving expression to our faith and to our commitments, both in terms of what we do and especially in how we do it. But two car accidents and three years in back braces as a high school student brought home two truths to me that shaped everything else. One was mortality, the brevity of life and its fragility. The other was the realization that a life poured out doesn't somehow claim all of us, then it doesn't claim us at all. A life poured out has to include our body, mind, and soul, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our work, our recreation, our friendship and families, and the way that we use money. And then it becomes a life's vision. It became clear to me that getting an education, a job, or career was not going to be enough. And it was in Christ, in my baptism, in a lifelong journey, that I found that one commitment that gives everything else meaning. It is only in Christ that we have something worth pouring our lives into. And it is only life in Christ that gives meaning to everything else. Now, how is tithing relating, related to that? It suffices, I think, to make just four brief but important points. One, Christian spirituality is incarnational. And until it is expressed in all that we do and say, it has yet to find full expression in our lives. Two, in a culture where money so deeply shapes our lives, we can ill afford to avoid exploring its power and the hold that it has over us. Three, a life that holds some part of it in reserve, including the financial, is not a life that is yet poured out. And four, if, as I have said, money is minted personality, then our use of it, will reflect the depth of our commitment to Christ and to Christ's work in the world. Tithing, then, is that act which gives lived, concrete experience to the prayer, all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. May that longing to pour out our lives take a deep hold on us and guide us together 
to discern God's will. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.